Hi, this is Guy Kawasaki. Hi, this is Gideon Shelwick here. My name is Farnoosh Brock. And you're listening to Learning with Leslie. Learning with Leslie. This is Learning with Leslie. 888-835-2414. This is Learning with Leslie. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Learning with Leslie, the podcast where you learn, I learn, we all learn about how to build an online business with a blog. No, I'm not talking about one of those blogs that will fall by the wayside when Google has a mood swing. (laughs) I'm talking about one that will thrive no matter what gets thrown at it. I'm your host, Leslie Samuel from becomeablogger.com, where we're changing the world one blog at a time, and as usual... I have another exciting interview for you today. I'm on the line with my good friend Marlee Ward from MarleeWard.com, where she provides savvy business and marketing tips designed to help you grow your business and your bottom line for free. Free is good. I like it. She's a licensed attorney, and five years ago, from uh, five years ago, that's exactly what she was doing, practicing law, but she felt a calling to do something more. After being laid off from her comfy job, she decided to take a leap of faith. She started to do to become self-employed and was able to replace her salary within one year. I brought her on to talk about something, but I don't really know what it is. So that's <laughs> what we're going to talk about today. Marley, how you doing? Oh, that has to be one of the best intros I've ever heard. <laughs> This is like the experimental podcast episode. I love it. I'm so glad I get to be a part. Awesome. Awesome. I'm excited. And I don't even know why, but I just know that I'm excited. So, so um, just for everyone that's listening, Marlee is on here. I have my intro written. You just heard me go through my intro. I have my outro and I have nothing in between. And whatever comes from that, we're just going to see what comes from it. Because I know she has an interesting story. So we're just going to talk like we're just two friends hanging out and getting to know each other and all that good stuff. Are you okay with that, Marley? Yeah. I mean, well, it's the truth. We are good friends getting to know each other. So it's perfect. That's true. <laughs> now, there's a lot of pressure because, you know, we don't know how this is going to turn out. So it, it could be a flop. So it's all on you to make this amazing. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> all right so you you ready for that challenge i'm ready all right let's do it so i'm looking at your about page right now um just because that's what i'm looking at and i'm i i, I just skipped over all the stuff at the top and i'm jumping down to the bottom born a jamaican father uh, born of a jamaican father american swedish mother mother the best of both worlds a licensed attorney member of the florida bar practicing law blah 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 backpacking over europe um and all these different types of things, a fitness enthusiast, passionate equestrian. You ride horses? I do. I was just riding this weekend. So do you actually have a horse? I do. His name is Cowboy. Oh, that's a cool name for a horse. <laughs> How long have you had cow- Cowboy? Um, I've had Cowboy for two years, but I've been riding since I was like seven. Uh, you know, once I went to St. Martin, which is where I'm from, and uh, I rode a horse in the sea. And that was like the most amazing experience to me. Yeah, they're they're good swimmers. They are. It, it's kind of cool. And I want to learn to ride horses. I've always wanted to learn, but I never really got into it. Um, okay, so you, you are someone that's passionate about a bunch of different things. 
I am. What are you passionate, most passionate about right now, today? When you think about your passion, what comes to mind? Oh, this is fun. I'm actually <laughs> most passionate about empowering other entrepreneurs okay. to do more than just be profitable in business. Okay. What does that's that mean? That's really the core of um, what I'm about. So what that means is that as entrepreneurs, we have a lot of opportunity to be catalysts for change. Okay. And a lot of times I think that we hear people encouraging this idea that we can serve people in our business through our products and services. And while I believe that that's true, I think that we have a greater opportunity to serve the world at large because yeah. being an entrepreneur and being an income producer and having the talent and the time and the resources to build a business means that you also have the time, the talent, and the resources to make major world changes. And I believe that if enough entrepreneurs band together and support this idea that you can profit, uh, you know, for good and for business, that together we can make a bunch of small dents in the world that would make major change in the universe. Oh, so I'm so excited. Okay. So you're, you're like touching on everything that I am excited about right now. Um, so I, I, okay. I just had a feeling that you would be the right person to do this with. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you, you have that same type of a, a mentality of, you know, changing the world and doing something more than just this make money online stuff. Right. Awesome. So you are a lawyer. Oh, no, not you were. You are. You're a licensed attorney still, right? Well, yeah, I'm absolutely licensed. I could go into court any day if I had to. Hopefully, I don't have to. Um, <laughs> I suppose if I wanted to, I could. But I'm non-practicing. Gotcha. And I, the reason I keep that license current is because it's quite an ordeal getting a current license to practice law. So I would not want to have to go through that again. I'd rather just keep it active. Okay. And why did you get into law in the first place? You know, Leslie, I really didn't have much thought about what I was doing as I got an education in the law. It was kind of like I I was at a place in my life where I knew I wanted to do more. I knew that I wanted to get out of corporate America and have a bigger impact, and I had no idea how. In fact, I knew back then that I wanted to start a business, but I felt like I didn't have the resources or the connections or the money, and so I felt like the best way to do that would be to get a secondary degree and you know maybe get my MBA or get uh -huh. my law degree, but I'm really bad with numbers, and I was afraid of the GMAT. <laughs> So I thought, oh, let me try my hand at law school. And I did really well in the LSAT. I got into school and I loved the legal education, the Socratic method where they ask all these questions and uh -huh. it's very analytical and, you know, you kind of can debate the, you know, two sides of the coin. And I just love that experience. But that experience is nothing like the practice of law. Okay. And so I was very disenchanted with it. And when I actually started practicing law, I realized very quickly that I was out of my sweet spot and very miserable. So while you were doing that, you realize now, okay, what you thought this was going to be, this is not exactly what it is. Um, exactly. How long was that? How long did that go on? You mean my my awakening your, that I knew I was in the wrong spot? Yes, and then you're still being in that spot while knowing that you're in that spot. Um, honestly, I knew after my first year of law school that I was in the wrong place. Oh man, I know. And so this is this is kind of one of those lessons where it's important to follow your heart because gotcha. 
I knew that I probably needed to make a transition and figure out something else. But uh-huh. I had a lot of pressure from my family and from a lot of people around me who loved me and they all meant well. And they just were like, you know, if you leave, you may never go back. Cause I was going to just take a leave of absence and explore my options. And, you know, they said, you might never go back and, you know, you'll be the first in our family to be a lawyer. And it was just, there was all of this pressure to stick with it. Gotcha. And so I I kind of felt like, you know, they're right and I don't really know what else I'll do. So I'll just, I'll just ride it out. Okay. And, uh-huh. and I kind of did it. I'd I wise, I, what am I trying to say? <laughs> My eyes wide open. There you go. Knowing that I wasn't really in the right place. Gotcha. And how long did you stay in that place? I stayed there until I exhausted all of my options as a lawyer. So I tried practicing every area of law where I could get a job (laughs) because I was so (laughs) determined to try to make it work. So I did everything from civil litigation. I did big law firm work, small law firm work. I went to work for legal aid, which is like the volunteer organizations in your communities where you can get legal help if you, you know, need pro bono, basically free legal help. And then I went in-house, which is like every lawyer's dream is to get a job working in-house for a corporation. And I landed a job in-house at a bank, which is like even better because Nice. Then you have bank holidays and bank hours. Nice. So everyone, I was the envy of all my lawyer friends. And I was miserable. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how long, okay, so how many years or months or days or hours was that? Yeah, so the whole legal career was about three years. Okay. Three years after law school. Yeah. Okay, so you're doing this for three years and then you get laid off? That's right. So I'm working for the bank. And I distinctly remember I was uh, visiting my parents uh, for vacation. It was around the holidays. It was in 2008. And I remember watching President Obama on the television talking about the financial crisis and the bailout and what they were going to do. And I remember saying to my parents in the living room, I'm going to go home and not have a job. And they were like, oh, no, no, that's not going to happen. But I just knew being in a bank, working in finance in the bank from a legal perspective, Uh we had too much that was invested in the problems that, you know, Wall Street was facing. And so lo and behold, within a few weeks of getting back from vacation, I was pulled into the HR department and given a choice. I could either take a severance pay and be on my way or uh, I could work for them as on a contract basis. And, um, you know, they would give me they would give me work as needed. So what's going through your mind at this point? Because, you know, in the back of your mind, you know that you're not happy doing what you're doing. um, But it was a a job and you were getting paid for doing that job. So there's that, you know, uncertainty as to where the money is. going. At least I'm thinking uncertainty as to where the money is going to come from. What what's going on in your mind? Is it a yay? I get to go and explore my passions or oh no. What in the world will I do? (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's funny, Leslie, you're the only person that gave me the yay option because that's exactly <laughs> where I was. I was ecstatic. I actually remember this huge smile coming on my face and the HR woman kind of cocked her head like confused because, you know, she's been <laughs> doing layoffs week after week. And here comes someone who's actually excited. And I said, when's my last day? Wow. And her face was just like, <laughs> uh, OK. And, you know, the thing is, the whole time I had been praying for an, a way out. I knew that I was in a position where I was kind of on autopilot. I Uh was just on the train. The train was just going and I was really waiting for a breakdown. I wanted something to happen. I mean, I, I joke about it and I say I was cheating on my job because the whole time I had this job, I was out, you know, looking for other opportunities, applying for 
opportunities with nonprofits in New York, applying for position as executive assistant, applying for all kinds of different things to, like you said, explore my passions. Uh-huh. And I wasn't, I didn't actually land anything the whole time, but I knew that I needed to do something else and I needed a way out. And if I didn't get a way out, I don't know if I would have left or if I would have just kept staying, if I would have stayed on the train. So it was a complete blessing when they called me in that office that day. Okay, so you, you're fired and you're happy about it. What do you do? I asked my parents if I can move back home. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> I'm like, can I come live with you? Because I don't think I can afford my lifestyle anymore. Uh, and they said yes, right? Yes. Okay, good. So you, you're at home now. And then what do you do? And then I just start thinking about how can I make money? You know, what am I going to do? I have student loans that I have to pay uh, I and I don't want to live at home for forever. So I've got to do something. And how long ago was this? That was in 2009. 2009. Two, actually, it was 2008, right before we hit the new year. Okay. So this is about five years ago. Um, you're, you're single at this point? I was, yes. You were single at this point um, and trying to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. What do you actually do? I mean, how do you make money? How do you, you're passionate about all these things. What do you do to, 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 to fill that void where there's no more money coming in? So at that time, I knew that I had to move towards whatever was closest to cash. And I had to, I had to pick from the skill set that I knew I already had. It wasn't the thing that I believe I was called to do at the time, but it was, I had to do it in order to get where I am now. Okay. And so at that time I decided I would go back to my roots, which was in marketing and public relations. I had worked in marketing and public relations right out of undergrad. And I did that for a while before I went to law school. So I knew that I could tap back into that. And one of the things that was true for me was that I really loved marketing. So I had stayed on top of marketing, even though I was no longer working in marketing. So I, ha- I still had a lot of cutting edge, a lot of the you know, newest things that people were doing in marketing under my belt. And so I thought, what group, what subset, you know, what industry do I have the most connections in where I could kind of focus in and niche a business around that industry and offer marketing and public relations type services. And so I molded over for a while and I decided that considering the economic circumstances and, you know, considering who was in my Rolodex, so to speak, that the healthcare industry would be the best thing for me to target. Cause I have a lot of friends and family who are in healthcare, doctors, nurses, things like that. Okay. So I decided to start a healthcare marketing firm. And I started a firm called RxMD Marketing Solutions, and we were a full-service marketing and web firm. And I built a virtual team where we offered full-service web design, PR campaigns, traditional marketing materials, print, brochures, um, and content marketing and online marketing. And that was where I started. And I literally went and knocked on doors, knocked on medical offices doors. I remember I, remember I hit 70 offices in one day prospecting. Oh, wow. Yeah. I had blisters the size of acorns. <laughs> and um, it turns out that none of those people converted into customers, but I ended up getting one customer online and I ended up getting one customer through a referral. And I set my fees, um, you know, to be a premium brand. And, you know, within two months, I was profitable. 
Nice. Okay, so um, you go knocking on all these doors, you get nothing, but yeah. you get one lead online. How did you get that one lead online? What What did you do? Because a, a number of people that may be listening to this maybe are offering some kind of a service, whether it's marketing or something else. Um, how did you go about getting that lead online? So I'm a big fan and student of Dan Kennedy, okay. and I was studying a lot of his things at the time, and he talked a lot about internet marketing. And at that time, it was still kind of the thing to go into forums and post your link in forums and try to get links everywhere kind of thing. Gotcha. Uh, so I spent a lot of time doing that. I spent a lot of time answering questions in different types of forums and finding all kinds of directories and posting links in directories. And lo and behold, someone found me gotcha. through some link on a forum. I think it was called like sales spider or something. I mean, completely <laughs> unrelated. Right. Uh, and, uh, and that's how they found me. And then from there, how do you go to build it, building it to where you're getting, you know, regular clients? Right. So then once I had that income, I just turned around and reinvest it into the business. And okay. I started doing uh, pay-per-click advertising. And I started really aggressively pursuing the niche platforms for the medical industry. So I you know, wrote articles and tried to get featured in some of the leading publications for healthcare. And I did that successfully. I was able to leverage that into speaking at conferences for healthcare practitioners. And it just grew itself from there. And one of the things that I did was because I was solo and because everything was virtual in terms of my team and the help that I got, I made sure that I, I positioned myself as a boutique firm with premium pricing. So that way I could make a significant income without having to have a ton of clients. Gotcha. I like it. Okay. So that that's what you were doing then. Um, where do you go from there? Because you're no longer doing that. Um, you, you have your blog at marleeward.com and, and just so someone doesn't spell it the wrong way, it's M-A-R-L-E-E-W-A-R-D.com. So you're doing that now. How, right. how do you get from what you're doing with your healthcare marketing business to what you're doing today? So I learned a lot <laughs> in that endeavor. Uh, but one of the biggest lessons that I learned was I really hadn't followed my passion. I had just created another job for myself. Mm. And so I didn't enjoy it. And in fact, I mean, till this day, the website's still active and I don't, I, I now use it as a referral generation for other companies. And I send people when they call me and stuff like that, I send them to uh, referral partners, but okay. you know, I would get calls from new clients and I would turn away the business because I just didn't want to do the work. Gotcha. <laughs> I just was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And, uh, I realized that I didn't really have an affinity or a passion for the niche that I was working in. You know, I chose it out of necessity and I also felt like that's not what I was called to specifically. I wasn't called to necessarily help doctors make more money by growing their practice. Okay. I felt like I really had a bigger message for entrepreneurs and for entrepreneurs you know, in general that I needed to get out. And so I knew I had to shift my platform and do that in another way. And that's how MarleyWard.com began because I had the, I had the personal URL, 
And I started playing around with these ideas, these other ideas that I had. And it just started out as a personal blog and it's evolved. Oh my goodness. You know, three or four times over <laughs> to where it is today. And actually it's getting ready to have another evolution. Oh, as I'm actually going with the name of my company, I'm going to brand my website with the name of my company instead of with my name as I step more into what I believe I've been called to share. Okay, so I'm, I'm interested in that because you know a lot of people ask, should I um, brand my website as my name? Should I come up with something that's keyword optimized? Should I come up with a business name? What is the thought process, first of all, in deciding to go with MarleeWard.com and then now to changing it to your what, what your brand is going to be? Well, I started with MarleyWard.com just because I had it and because I didn't know where I was headed. I didn't know if I wanted to necessarily have a personal brand or if I wanted to brand myself as a corporation, but I knew I had these ideas that I wanted to share and I knew these ideas were my own. So I figured to build the platform on MarleyWard.com would not be a bad thing. The other thing that I think is true is that when you are the face of your business, whether you brand yourself as your name or as the name of a company, I think it's not as it's not really that important. It's not really that relevant. And that is because you're still going to be the face associated with the brand. And I think a good example of that is like if I say to you Microsoft, you think Bill Gates, or if I say to you Apple, you think Steve Jobs. Yeah. And so these people did not personally brand these products, but they're still the person you associate with that brand. And so I think they can be equally powerful. It's yeah, really a matter of positioning. Um, for me, I feel the need to expand, or I should say move away from MarleyWord.com as a brand because I want other people to be able to embody this message. And I feel like as long as I'm in, as long as I'm branding it as my message, MarleyWord.com, instead of the message that I believe it is, which is to be a radical entrepreneur, it cannot be as easily adopted by the people who believe the same thing I believe. And so in order to, I think, get more traction and be able to share the message in a greater way, I need to move away from that Marley Ward brand. Are you sharing what the, the, the new brand is already or is that something we have to wait to find out? Yeah, no, I'm sharing it now. Actually, it's not really new. This is also funny. And, you know, this is a really big lesson that I want everyone to really understand and embrace. And that is entrepreneurship truly is a journey. And don't be afraid to evolve. Don't be afraid to turn in other directions. You know, uh -huh. you might be headed one way and then find out that's not really where you wanted to go. And I think that you have to give yourself the freedom and permission to turn around and change things at any moment if you know and believe that it's the right thing to do. And so what's happened for me, and this has happened a lot to me, um, but what's happened for me is that the name of my, my company, if you were to look me up in the Department of Corporations, is Radical Entrepreneurship, LLC. Oh. And I came up with that name for my business intentionally. And there's a message attached to it. And there's, you know, this really solid mission behind that. And when I came up with the name for my business, I already had MarleyWar.com. So I just kind of thought, you know, it's not that important. It's really just the corporate name. It's the name of my corporation. It's not really essential. But what I noticed is that as I've gone out, especially locally, dealing with entrepreneurs locally, and I'm speaking more, people keep asking me, what is radical entrepreneurship? Because whenever I'm introduced somewhere, people always introduce me as Marley Ward of Radical Entrepreneurship, since that's the name of my company. Uh -huh. 
And I've had to explain it. And then I also, you know, in the bottom of my email newsletter have the name of my company and my address and it's Radical Entrepreneurship. And every once in a while, someone will email me and say, what is Radical Entrepreneurship? Is that your company? And I explain, yes, it's the name of my company. And I realized that I have actually been sitting on my message. I've actually been sitting on the thing <laughs> that is really probably the most powerful thing that I have to share with people, um. which is this concept of being a radical entrepreneur. And so now I'm in a place where I'm, you know, kind of flipping things and leading with radical entrepreneurship. And I'm, I might be the face and the messenger of that, but that's, that's the brand that other people can embrace. And that's the concept that you're trying to portray to, to, to people that come to your blog. Exactly. Okay. So I, I think I know where this is going in terms of what I want us to really dig into in terms of um, being able to teach a, a, a specific lesson. Uh, you're, a, you're a business coach. Yes. A lot of what you do is coaching. Is that correct? It's all of what I do. <laughs> that, that, is, that is all of what you do. Now, I want a lot of people that follow what we do at Become a Blogger and listen to this podcast, Learning with Leslie, are interested in coaching, offering coaching, getting coaching, um, and all that kind of stuff, but specifically those that are interested in offering coaching. And, I, and it's something that I've thought about myself. What is your process that you take people through where, you know, someone comes to you, they're interested in starting a business around their passion, they want coaching. What do you do with that person? Well, I think the first thing I have to do, Leslie, is determine whether or not that person's really an ideal customer for me. Okay. And so I'm really clear on that and I really have um some criteria that I'm looking for. So typically if a person's uncertain, if they're in a place where they're still making a decision about where they want to be, they're actually not a good fit for me. They probably need to talk to someone who works specifically with people who are in transition. I work with people who are really clear on what they want to do. They just don't know how to do it. They don't know how to get it to that next level. They're not gotcha. sure how to market or package it in a way where they can get the traction that they need to get. So my process at that point well, you know, before you move on to that process, I'm interested in, in this question. I come to you and I am not sure as to what I want to do, but I know I have great ideas. I maybe have, you know, a bunch of ideas. What do you tell me at that point? Well, I have a free um, five-week e-course called Find Your Sweet Spot. And I usually direct people to take the free e-course. Okay. And through that e-course, they're able to work through some exercises and maybe come to a conclusion or, you know, have some kind of idea of where they want to go at that point. Gotcha. But now let's say I've gone through that and I still haven't figured it out and I have a lot of money and I am willing to <laughs> give you that money to help me to figure that out. What do you do? Do you turn me away? I find someone who can help you. Yes. You know, I, 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 I wanted to ask that question because I thought that would be your answer. Um, so you would rather turn someone away because they are not your target audience than take them on because you can make a good amount of money from that person. Yes, and I do it all the time. <laughs> uh, that is beautiful. So number one, you want to know who that, who you're, who you're trying to, um, who, who is your target audience, uh, even for your coaching, especially for your coaching. And if someone does not fit that, turn them away. Maybe give them other suggestions as someone that can help them to accomplish their specific goal. But if that's not something you do, you need to know that upfront and be willing to say, you know what, maybe I'm not a good fit for you. 
Absolutely. Awesome. Okay, so that's point number one, and I love it. You know what? I I didn't even write that down. So know who your target audience is. That's something that I've been coming back to over and over recently, so I'm glad you mentioned that. Okay, so we've got that down. Then what? So in terms of the process for bringing someone in, if they are a right fit for me, then I ask them to share with me a clear and compelling vision for their business and for their life. And I have an exercise that I have them do to complete that. Okay. And I have them do that because you cannot achieve what you do not see. If you don't have a clear vision of what you want for your business, what you want to achieve, you can't achieve it. I believe that success is attracted to clarity. So when you know what you want, then you can figure out the how, but you have to be able to put in writing the what. And, and do, so I have them do that. And do you have, okay. So you, you provide them with a resource for them to be able yes. to do that activity before you start the actual coaching. Right. Okay. So first it's knowing who your target audience is being willing to turn everyone else away. Number two, once you know that they're a good fit, you have them come up with their clear and compelling vision as to where they're trying to get to. Exactly. All right. (laughs) I love this. Okay, so that's number two. And then what? And then I review that because a lot of times we don't recognize how we limit our own thinking. We all have limiting beliefs. We all have assumptions about the way things must be done or what's possible for us. And sometimes it takes someone else to look at what we believe to point out areas where we might have opportunities for growth or maybe we're looking at things the wrong way. And so I take an opportunity to make sure that we clear out any limiting beliefs before we start working on whatever we're going to work on together. Okay. So... Once they've given you that clear and compelling visions, you, uh, clear and compelling vision, you then take that, you look at it, you review it to see if there are certain limiting beliefs or certain obstacles or something that's going to be holding them back. Right. And you discuss that with them. Right. Okay. So you've reviewed it, and now you you're, you 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 have a, a similar mindset in terms of what you're trying to accomplish. You know where the limiting beliefs are, if there are any. And then what do you do? And then we create a plan of action for achieving whatever it is that you've decided that you want to achieve. So typically, most of my clients come to me because they need help with marketing. And so most of the time, they go through what I call my prospects and limited blueprint, which is where I help them do exactly what we were talking about earlier, identify their ideal buyer, make sure they have what I call the magnetic marketing message. Um, They make sure they commit to a marketing strategy that they can follow through on and then creating a marketing funnel and ways to fill that funnel and then being able to convert those customers. And so depending upon where my clients are in the spectrum of things, we work on a variety of those things. Maybe we're just focusing on the ideal customer. Maybe we're working on the entire thing. Maybe we're working just on the sales process or something in their funnel. But typically, those are the, the key issues that I will work with people. Okay, so, so let me ask you this question. Let's say this person is your target audience. Um, you think they're a right fit. They have a clear and compelling vision. But what they want to achieve is not something that uh, you've done before or you have a lot of experience with. Um, what do you do at that point? Well, I guess it really depends 
Because if I believe that I can help them, even though I've never done it before, and that might sound crazy, but I have had experience where I've tried things for people because I believe that I, I have a good idea or strategy that we can test. Okay. I let them know that up front. I, you know, I say, listen, I've never done this before, but I'm willing to try it with you. But you have to recognize that that's what you're getting into. And if you would prefer to work with someone who has done this before, I'll help you find that person. But if you want to carry this out with me, I'm willing to, you know, do the work to help you get this done. Gotcha. All right. So we have a plan of action. What do we do next? So now we execute. And one of the things that I like to do is make sure that you not only know what you need to do, but that you have the tools to do that. So we might have a session where, you know, we are hammering out things about your brand and you might need to start to put that, take, bring that brand to life through your website, through logo design, through copywriting. And so, you know, I might have you support create a draft of what you want to say, and then I'll have you submit it to me and I'll review it. And I might add some comments to it or help tweak it in some way. I'll connect you with a graphic designer that I have in my virtual team who can help you bring those things to life. And we'll work with you at a fair price that you can trust. Maybe you're not so tech savvy. I'll connect you with a virtual assistant who can help you implement these things. Because I think one of the areas where the coaching industry fails people most is they give people all this information and they don't help them actually get stuff done. So they have all this information, but they have nothing to show for it at the end. And that's where I feel like I'm really different from most coaches because I give people access to those things so that at the end of whatever period of time we work together, you have something to show for that. Okay. I love it. Okay. So not only do you create the plan of action, then you start to execute that plan. But in executing that plan, you want to make sure that the client has the tools that they need in order to, to accomplish the things that they need to get done. Exactly. Then what? Well, well actually with that, um, no, actually, yeah, go ahead. Then what? <laughs> well, then typically we have something that is able to generate results. And we look at your results and hopefully you've achieved what, what you want to. If you don't, we look at what we could do different, what we need to change, what worked, what didn't. And if our time of working together is over, then the client has the opportunity to renew and start coaching again on a new issue. Or if we've done a great job and they want to move on to something else, they can do that too. Or if they want to maintain coaching with me for accountability and for growth, then I'm available for that as well. Okay. So this is kind of like you monitoring the, monitoring the results of the plan that you're executing um, and, and kind of see where things go. Exactly. Okay. So how often with, with, a, with a, 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 an ideal client and you're doing it the way that you, you, you normally do it, how often are you trying to meet with that person? It depends on the person. Okay. Some, some people are great self-starters. They're very motivated. They will just, you know, take, they'll get one session and, you know, they're emailing me, hey, you know, what, what else can I do before our next session? You know, they're ready. Um, so a person, a person like that, who's a little more hands-free might not need to meet as often because they don't need as much coaching through the process. Then there are people who want to really check in often. They want a lot of feedback. They you know, want a lot of insight. And so they might want to meet more regularly. So I offer different plans, different levels of coaching, depending upon a person's need. Gotcha. 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 Like it, like it, like it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking about my, my audience. 
um, right now. And I'm thinking, for example, because there's someone in the community, Holly from HappyFoodHealthyLife.com, that just started offering coaching. And uh, she's basically teaching people to have a healthy relationship with food, kind of a, a health coach, um, but a little more than that. So if I were Holly and I were um, trying to do this coaching thing, number one, I would try to identify who my target audience is. And I would say, for example, and you can correct me along um, this um, artificial journey that I'm going through right now. <laughs> okay. um, but I would say, for example, that my target audience are women between the ages of uh, 18 and 32 or whatever the case might be who are struggling with um, their weight. And then I would say, you know, when, when that person um, approaches me, uh, I would ask them the question, what are they trying to accomplish? So what's the, what's the ultimate vision? How much, how, much are they, how much weight are they trying to lose or something of that sort? So far, so good? So far, so good. But I would add something to the ideal customer. Because okay. one of the things that I think most people do is they think of their ideal customer in terms of demographics, okay. age, location, you know, the general. But the truth is, is that they're a person. And so when you're creating your ideal customer, you need to dig deeper than that. You okay. need to think about one specific person who is the epitome of your ideal customer and you need to bring that person to life. What is their lifestyle like? Are they very busy young professional who's eating on the go all the time so they're making bad food choices and their self-esteem is low and they can't really wear the clothes that they want to wear because they have you know, this bad self-image, they're constantly feeding themselves the wrong things, they have no time for exercise. When you can get that specific about the person you're dealing with, you can also get equally specific about the results that you can deliver. And you can communicate that in a way that your ideal customer can come to your website or come across some of your marketing materials and go, oh my goodness, I need Holly. She's perfect for me because I am that young professional with no time to work out and I'm eating terrible and she can give me a plan that's going to help me lose 10 pounds with only working out three times a week and changing my diet slightly or whatever it might be that she can do. So you want to really dig deep into who that person is and what their life is like and how try to see their problem through their eyes so that you can communicate your solution to their needs. I love it. So this is this is coming up with a customer avatar. Exactly. Um, and this, this is an activity that I've gone through uh, recently coming up with a customer avatar for Become a Blogger. And I have an, an elaborate story that describes my, my, my target person. She has a name. Her name is Christina Simmons. And I, I have a, a very detailed description of you know, the things that she sees, the things that she hears, the things that she experiences, and what her family is like and how they respond to her and all, all those things. That is the level of specificity you're talking about getting down to. Yes, absolutely. And then based on that, then you can come up with, um, well, then you can, uh, the, the coming up with the compelling vision is much easier because you know who that person is and what their, their goals are, and it just makes it easier for that process to happen. Exactly. All right. Then you create that plan of action um, in terms of how we're going to be eating. Um, what, how we're going to be exercising and what are the different things that we're going to be doing? What time are we going to wake up in the morning? Whatever the case, whatever is involved in, in that specific uh, target audience in their lives and helping them accomplish their goals, you come up with that plan and then you work on executing that plan. And I would recommend that anyone considering coaching look to create some type of system that they bring their clients through. So my system is focused on marketing because that's how I typically help my clients. And I can determine based on where they are, 
in their current state where they need to enter into the system. So maybe they're very clear on their ideal customer, but they're not so clear on their marketing message. Or maybe they're clear on their customer and their marketing message, but they're not so clear on their marketing strategy. So you want to have something that you can kind of plug your ideal buyer into so that you know where to pick up with them and how to make sure they get the most out of what you're offering. So in the health in the health coach scenario, uh-huh. you know, she might have an assessment of like, what are your current eating habits? What are your current fears or your current frustrations with food and you know, when do you eat most and why those kinds of things so that they can get an idea of where the customer's at and then create a system of how you would work with the customer who's in that place. And what you'll find is that if your ideal buyer is really specific, most clients who come to you who fit into your target market will run through the system that you've created seamlessly. Gotcha. So, you know, I'm thinking about something that I'm doing right now, which is not exactly this, but um, it, it, it kind of reminds me of it. So I, I've hired a copywriter, and for this copywriter to create a sales page for me, they sent me a questionnaire to figure out exactly where I was. And the questionnaire was kind of extensive. And I remember seeing that questionnaire and thinking to myself, oh, man, I got to go through all of this. But then I started to answer it, and it made me much clearer as to what I wanted to accomplish. And when I, was, when I gave that to her, she had a very good idea of what she needed to do, and it made the entire process much easier. Right. My question is this. How much work do you put them through before they actually get into this coaching thing in terms of questionnaires, in terms of trying to figure out exactly where that person is at that particular point in time? Well, once I know that they're an ideal customer, I send them that questionnaire right away and I ask them to submit it to me before our first session. So I'll put the session on the on the calendar and then I'll give them a deadline. Typically, it depends on how quickly the person wants to meet. Some people come to me and, you know, they just they want a session as soon as possible, in which case they have to do their questionnaire as quickly as possible. Um, so really, it just depends on when we're going to schedule our session. But usually I require that they submit it to me a day or two, typically two before our session so that I can review it. That's most of the preliminary work. At that point, it'll everything that they need to do in terms of preparation is going to depend on what we talk about in that first call where we identify the goals that we're working towards. Gotcha. Okay, this this is good stuff. If if I want to if I want to start coaching, I think I have a lot of resources, a lot of information now to be able to do it in not just a way where, hey, I'm just going to put up a page and start calling people and doing coaching. <laughs> but now I have a solid plan that I can follow if I were to offer that kind of service. So if someone wants to get this type of coaching from you, um, how do they go about doing that? So they would visit my website and click on the Get Coaching tab where they can learn about the kinds of things that I can help them with. And then they would schedule a little session for us to just chat and see if we're a good fit for one another. And it's, you know, a free, it's not a consult, but it's a free opportunity to talk to one another. And I get to ask you what it is that you're working on and how you, you know, why you think you need my help and whether or not I can actually help you. So I assess that first. Once, once we have that call and I decide that we really are a good fit and the feelings mutual, that's when we move forward. That's when we talk pricing options and the level of coaching that you'll need and how long we'll coach together. Okay, so this sounds pretty extensive, um, and I like it because it's extensive. But my question is this. When you first started coaching, was it this extensive, or is it something that has evolved over time? 
it's something that has evolved over time. <laughs> okay, so I'm just getting started with my coaching. What do you recommend for me to do in terms of preparation beforehand? Do you remember you recommend for me to come up with all these systems or to start with this core and then kind of add on in the future? I recommend that you focus on solving one specific type of problem when you start. Okay. So let's say for the health coach, she wants to focus on weight loss for people who have who who have bad eating habits. <clears throat> So let's say that's the person she's going to target. I would create a, a system or a process for coaching someone in that specific scenario. Gotcha. And then I would offer only that. Mm. And I would start there and I would try to get as many clients as I could for that type of issue before I expand. Because what you're going to find is that as you work with people, you'll learn things about your clients that you didn't anticipate or you'll see things that you didn't expect. And that will allow you to expand your coaching with greater information. And then as you, as you expand your offering, as you expand how you help people, then you come up for different processes for each one. But I would start small. I would start with one. I would start with one that's simple. And then, you know, work through it with real people. All right. So in this way, you can start very professionally um, but not be overwhelmed because you're not trying to take on everything at once. You're you're perfecting one system, one thing that you're trying to help people to accomplish, and then you're moving on from there. You're growing from there kind of organically. Exactly. All right. I mean, I, I don't even think we need to talk about anything else because I think you, you offered a lot of value there. So my, my last question is somebody's listening to this right now and maybe they are in that position that you were in um, five years ago, or however long ago that was, where they're not happy with what they're doing. What do you tell to Marley five years ago? What did you need to hear at that point to help you to reach to a place where you are doing something that you are passionate about? Wow. Um, I would say you have permission to change direction. Mm. It's okay. It's okay if where you are is not where you thought you were going to be. That's okay because there's a lesson there and you don't know it yet. But you'll see the lesson when you take the next step. So look for the next step and just take that one and take it day by day and continue to move in the direction that excites you. And I think that is where all the doors will start to open up. I just had to start the music. It seemed like the perfect time after that. <laughs> Marley, thank you so much for um, coming on here and offering as much value as you did. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure and a blast, Leslie. You're so fun to talk with. And you did well. We didn't even know what we were going to talk about. I like I know, it. I know. I should do this more. Yes. <laughs> Anyhow, if you guys want to check out what Marley is doing, head on over to MarleyWard.com. And in the future, it'll be another URL, but I'm sure it'll redirect you there. Head on over there and get the value. She makes videos. She's doing a podcast. She interviewed me on that podcast. Um, so you can check it out over there, marleyward.com. As usual, this episode is brought to you by the 10 free videos on how to become a blogger over at freebloggingvideos.com, where you get to avoid the hassle and stress of not knowing how to get your blog up and running and doing it fast. I've personally seen that it's one of the biggest things holding people back from getting their blog started because they're not sure how. So that's where those videos come, uh, come in. Head on over to freebloggingvideos.com 
and check them out today. So this is Leslie Samuel from becomeablogger.com where we're changing the world one blog at a time. I hope you got a ton of value from this. And, you know, that's pretty much it for this episode. Until next time, take care and God bless.